we as a society have gotten so used to treating these people like the emotional and intellectual toddlers that they are, we just ignore it. Because if we say something, we're persecuting them. We're trouncing on their religious liberty. We're denying them their freedom of speech. Bullshit. Let me say it again. Freedom of speech grants you an opinion, but it does not. It does not grant you an audience. Christianity is still the largest religious group in America, and no other religion, no other religion is or ever will be as widely acknowledged, accepted, shamelessly accommodated, or as heavily protected as Christianity. Many evangelicals not only expect to be persecuted for their faith, they worry about it if they aren't. Why? Because if you aren't being persecuted, you're probably not all that great a Christian. They're being persecuted when smart people counter what they have to say with logic. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get Unbound. It isn't persecution when someone says happy holidays. Mm. It isn't persecution when the town asks you to clean up the tracks you've littered it with. It isn't persecution to ask someone to wear a mask during a public health crisis. I was never asked what my religion was when I went to Walmart during the height of COVID. I was simply asked to wear a mask. Not everything is about them, but boy, do they get off on the delusion that it is. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight we are talking about what passes for religious persecution in the eyes of the average American evangelical. And I don't think it will come as any surprise to anyone who listens to this show that it's all delusion and paranoia. Christianity is one of the most protected and tolerated religions out there. And yet whenever public policy doesn't go their way... Whenever they're told they can't have a church and a school in an area not zoned for churches and schools, and whenever someone politely asks them to take a jab in the arm for the good of the neighbor they're mandated to love like they love themselves, and boy do these people love themselves, they play the persecution card and pitch fits until they get their way or give up. And that right there is a generous tease for what's coming up in just a few. But for right now... Spider finds a new hero and a sound critique of Christian nationalism from an unlikely source. It's Christians and one badass teen calling out Christians for behaving badly this time around. Yes, it's a great change, I think. I think so, too. Yeah. And I like these stories yes, a lot. They're, all, they're both very good. Um, but first, ah, high school, math, English, science, and salvation? Apparently. Apparently. In this instance, apparently. Yes. If you went to public school, one thing we all remember is the school assembly, right? For me, it meant that I didn't have to listen to my European history teacher drone on in a monotone as she read out of the textbook. I'm sure other people learn things in school assemblies, but I don't remember one thing that was said at any of these events even if some of the assemblies were mandatory. You see, I remember mine, but then again, they made ours kind of cool. So yeah. I don't know what they did with yours. Oh, please. But we, we had some really good assemblies, but nothing like this. The sad part is that back in the day, I might have been excited by something <laughs> yeah, right. like this. I know. But now it's just like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I, I, won't, I won't steal your thunder. I want you to tell the story. <laughs> Well, I'm pretty sure that the kids at Huntington High School in West Virginia aren't going to forget this particular assembly anytime soon. 
Told that the assembly was mandatory, the students went down to the auditorium only to be met by 25-year-old evangelical preacher Nick Walker of Nick Walker Ministries, who has been leading revivals in the Huntington area for more than two weeks. During the assemblies, students and their families are encouraged to join evening services at the nearby Christ Temple Church. More than 450 people, including 200 students, have been baptized at the church, according to Walker, who said he was scheduled to go to another public school and nearby Marshall University soon. Oh, joy. Joy. The meetings took place during a time of day where the students had what we used to call study hall, a non-instructional period where students could study for tests, do homework, work on college prep, and listen to guest speakers. You could argue that they weren't being taught anything anyway, so no class time was wasted. However, many students and their parents objected. And with good reason. Yes, definitely. Max Niebert, a senior at Huntington High, organized a walkout of over 100 students to protest the assembly. During their homeroom period, they walked out chanting, Separate the church and state, and My Faith, My Choice. Security officers turned away reporters who wanted to cover the protest. I wish they hadn't. I wish they hadn't, too. I really wish they hadn't. I'd like to see this kid, like, on television. Oh, totally. This is the Spider's new hero portion of Christians behaving badly. Max Niebert, my hat is off to you. You are one badass kid. And I love what he says here. Yeah. Again, won't steal your thunder. You tell (laughs) them, but I love what he says here. Yeah. I don't think any kind of religious official should be hosted in a taxpayer-funded building with the express purpose of trying to convince minors to become baptized after school hours, Niebert said. During the walkout, he held a sign reading, My rights are non-negotiable. You go, Max. Yeah. Cabell County Schools spokesperson Jed Flowers said the event was voluntary. Bullshit. Organized by the school's chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He said there was supposed to be a sign-up sheet for students, but two teachers mistakenly brought their entire class. Mistakenly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a feeling it's West Virginia. This is a CYA statement if I ever saw one. Yeah. And it's, it's also West Virginia. And you can't tell me these people aren't pressured. Oh, no, of course. You know? That's, that, that's, that's kind of a given. Not just because it's West Virginia, but because of the concentration of evangelicals that there are in West Virginia. And there are a lot of evangelicals in West Virginia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this whole business of bringing any assembly in that's yeah. organized by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. There's no way that this isn't going to be biased no. in, the, in the first place. It's absolutely, positively, definitely, without a doubt, going to include some level of indoctrination. Oh, yeah. And the people who organized this and the people who allowed it knew this. Oh, of course. So I don't care if it's mandatory, voluntary, or anything in between. It had no business happening in the first place. Yeah, not at a public school. No. This next one, this next story that you've got for us tonight, I mean, I had to reread your notes a couple of times to make sure I was seeing what I was seeing here. Mm. And I want to take a look at this, too. Oh, yeah. So tell the people what we're talking about. Well, while a lot of Christians behaved badly, others were keeping track. 
the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty and the Freedom from Religion Foundation have released a new report entitled Christian Nationalism and the January 6, 2021 Insurrection. The author list contains many experts on Christian nationalism, authors such as Andrew Seidel of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, Professors Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry, and Amanda Tyler, Executive Director of the Baptist Joint Committee and organizer of the Christians Against Christian Nationalism Initiative. The extensive document begins with a sociological explanation of Christian nationalism in America and the demographics that underlie this ideology. Survey after survey finds that close to half of Americans are at the very least supportive of the fusion of Christianity with American civic life. These Americans believe that Christianity should influence our public policies, sacred symbols, and national identity. Their research also underscores how white Christian nationalism and Christianity are not one and the same. The report also includes a short history of Christian nationalism, as well as descriptions of their money and support systems. The bulk of the report exposes the role this ideology played in fomenting the insurrection, including a key section written by Seidel detailing the buildup and dry runs that occurred immediately following Election Day, up until the attack itself. His chapter on the evidence of the role of white Christian nationalism is heavily documented and richly studded with photographs and links to videos of that day showing the prayers, signage, and symbols of Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism has helped create a political taboo against any discussion of Christianity that isn't outright praise, so this aspect of the insurrection has been almost completely ignored, says Seidel, who first perceived the need for this report and organized its publication. We cannot understand what happened on January 6th without confronting and understanding Christian nationalism. I was listening to Andrew Seidel talk about this, and it's like... I didn't realize how many protests in Washington there were, like right after the election. Mm -hmm. And they were all dry runs. Yeah. Crazy. This report is available at the Christians Against Christian Nationalism website and also the Freedom From Religion Foundation's website. The links will also be in our show notes. This report deserves to be read by anyone who is concerned with our country. It's 66 pages And it looks like it is full of good stuff, good information to know. I plan on reading it this weekend. If I had the time, I would be too. (laughs) I know. So this is one of those situations where I'm going to be counting on you to, to fill me in. And if you find that it's worthy of an episode... You know, yeah. we can we can give you the reins again because it's been a long time. Yeah, it has since you've had the chance to say a lot. Yeah, and you know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's it's not me hogging the mic. It's just I'm the one that has the experience. I do most of the notes, and tonight you're actually going to hear a little bit more from Shell because she really. Um, she came through <laughs> with some really really good stuff on our main topic. And just before we get into that, just want to let you know that our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. If you have the means to support us financially with any amount of money, we would greatly appreciate it. Any amount is going to help us out tremendously at this point. So 
no donation is too small and no donation is too big. So <laughs> wherever you lie on that spectrum, where whatever you can do to help us out, we'd be grateful for the support. And if you just don't have the money to send us at this point in time, we get that too. Just like I say every week, likes, shares, five-star ratings, good reviews, sharing content on social media, all of these things help podcasts grow. And the number one way is to tell someone new about this show, because that is how I learned about pretty much every podcast that I listen to. So tell someone new about the show this week, especially if it's someone that you think would benefit from what we do here. We are now on episode 100. We've reached triple digits now. <laughs> and it's an awesome little milestone. Yeah. But I still feel like we haven't scratched the surface. Oh, no. I still feel like there's so much more that we could be talking about and just having the better conversation about. And we're going to continue that. Come hell or high water, I'm going to continue doing this show. I mean, I my life right now is... It's it's chaotic. Yeah. It is absolutely chaotic. But here we are, a day late, sorry patrons, sitting down to record this because of all of the other things that are going on with my life, with a new business, all of that stuff. But here we are because I have a passion for my work. I've always had a passion for the work that I'm doing right now. Even if I did walk away from it once or twice, um, there were reasons for that. But I mean, I'm, I'm kind of all in at this point <laughs> yeah. and very, very happy to be because this is a good thing that I'm doing with my life and livelihood. But this is a good thing that I'm doing as a means of purgation for all of the crap that I went through, for the crap that I put other people through by exposing them to this. I won't say that it's my penance, but it is my reaction yeah. to the anger, the righteous anger that fuels what we do here. And, uh, and there's plenty of it. And there's plenty left. And yeah. we're going to keep doing what we're doing for as long as we possibly can, even if it means taking a break once in a while so that I can recharge the brain cells, which may happen once or twice. But I figured better late than never with this one. This is a good topic, and we wanted to get to it tonight. Just one more thing before we get going with it, folks. Next week, we're going to be talking about biblical contradictions. And I mean, like I said last week, we could do an entire series on yeah. this. But we're going to kind of zero in on some of the real glaring examples mm. and kind of reference others that fall in step with them so that you get an idea of just how completely skewed the inerrant word of God actually is. And, you know, how often this God, who in Malachi 4 says that he never changes, actually changes his mind <laughs> on things. So um, that's going to be next week. The week after is going to be crazy week for me at the driving school. So we are just not going to even bother trying to put a, a lesson, some, a lesson. You see this? You see where my mind is? We're not even going to try to put together an episode for that week because I just don't feel like the quality would be there with everything else that's going on. So we're going to take a little sabbatical. We're going to take the 27th off and then we'll return on March 6th with our review of M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. So you'll want to be around for that one. I think that that's going to be a really kick-ass episode. Oh, yeah. And with all of that to look forward to, let's actually get into the conversation for tonight and talk about this thing called, quote-unquote, Christian persecution from the perspective of the evangelical. So first off, let's understand that Christianity is a persecuted religion. In North Korea, for example, as well as in most or all Muslim-governed nations, 
Christians risk imprisonment and even death for their faith. The Christian community in Mosul, Iraq, was exiled, and ISIS or ISIL aggressively persecutes Christians in the name of jihad. So yes, it's safe to say that Christians the world over are in fact persecuted. And to make the point just a little bit clearer, according to the 2021 World Watch List, every day 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith, every day 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked, and every day 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned and another five are abducted. Those numbers may seem small, but it does make the point that this is an actual problem. Let's also remember, though, that Christianity is not the only religion or ideology or belief system that is yeah. persecuted, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. But, I mean, these numbers may look small, but it's still significant because it makes the point that this is a thing. Yeah. And, and these are the ones that are more public. And there are scores of examples of lesser acts of persecution that happen every single day all over the world. People do have to hide their faith. They have to hide who they are and not be able to be themselves anywhere, not even with their own families. Yeah. And I think that that's very sad. I think that it's sadder that it's because of this. But I think that it's sad in general that people have to worry about being the people who they are and basically live a lie their entire lives. Because if they don't, then they could get their heads lobbed off. Yeah. And I think that that's terrible. But here's something that I think is equally terrible. And that is the thought of how many Christians give people COVID every day by not masking up or getting vaxxed. I think the number is probably higher than 12. Mm -hmm. And I also wonder how many people they've passively killed. I don't know if it's more than 12 in a day. I have no idea if there's even data on yeah. this or if it can even be tracked. But it is something that happens, especially among the unvaccinated and a lot of evangelicals remain unvaccinated. So I have to wonder how much damage we're doing just in this country or how much damage evangelicals are doing just in this country every single day and subjecting people to something like COVID because they're that dead set on doing things the way they want to do them. So what goes around comes around. But those numbers reflect Christianity around the globe. We're talking about people right here in the U.S. who operate under the delusion that they are somehow being persecuted for really ridiculous reasons. I'm talking reasons so petty that any rational human could see how little truth there actually is to any of it. Right. Evangelicals firmly believe that they, as Christians, are under attack even though they get their holidays off. There are no restrictions on how many churches they can build or even how much money they can make. But still, they maintain they are being persecuted. The idea of persecution is central to the Christian religion. And it always has been. Yes. And it started with Jesus himself. Oh, yeah. Telling his disciples that, you know, it's very possible that the world is just flat out going to hate you. And yeah. it just sort of spirals from yeah. there. His followers are told to expect this. 
not just that it could happen, but to flat out expect it. If the world hates you, just keep in mind that it hated me first. I don't think the world hated him. I just think that it was a small group of religious people yeah. who just didn't like what this nutter was saying. Yeah. So it wasn't the world. That was a little bit lofty. But they like doing that, too. They like aggrandizing things. Oh, yeah. Well, this is called the Christian Persecution Complex and is mostly maintained by certain American Protestant churches and some Christian or Bible-based cults in Europe. Different scholars have opinions on when it started. Most seem to place it around the mid-20th century, citing certain court decisions regarding prayer in schools and other public places where Christian activity might be declared out of bounds. Yeah, just blame it on Madeline Murray O'Hare. Yeah, right. Another this, hero. Yes. Of our cause in, in atheist circles. Right. Absolutely. This complex mobilizes the language of religious persecution to shut down political debate and critique by characterizing any position not in alignment with this politicized version of Christianity as an example of anti-Christian or anti-religious bigotry and persecution. Yeah, very true. But let's not lay the entire burden at the feet of evangelicals because this concept oh, yeah. actually goes back way further. Oh, definitely. Historically, Christians have been persecuted since the first century of the Christian era until the present day in different places and for different reasons. At first, they were persecuted by Jews and then by Romans. These particular events are taught in every Sunday school and even in public school. Every Christian child knows that early Christians were often thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. In late antiquity, classical antiquity to the Middle Ages in Europe, Christians were often persecuted by other Christians who disagreed on certain beliefs and doctrines as heresy. And that still happens. Oh gosh, yes. Oh my goodness. While the Romans ended their persecutions officially in the 4th century, the disagreements between Christians and other flavors of Christians only increased. The schisms of late antiquity and the Middle Ages, including the Rome-Constantinople schisms and the many Christological controversies, together with the later Protestant Reformation, provoked severe conflicts between Christian denominations. During these conflicts, members of various denominations frequently persecuted each other and engaged in sectarian violence. In the 20th century, Christian populations were persecuted, sometimes to the point of genocide by various states, including the Ottoman Empire and its successor, which committed the Hamidian massacres, the Armenian Genocide, the Assyrian Genocide, and the Greek Genocide. That's a lot of massacres and genocides. Yes, and by officially atheist states, such as the former Soviet Union, communist Albania, China, and North Korea. Although the persecution of Christians continues into the 21st century, the persecution continues to be done by other Christians as well as terrorist organizations such as ISIL. Since about 10% of the world's Christians live in countries where they are minorities, they are often targeted by majority religious groups who often belong to that country's state religion. Yep, all of that's true. And Christians, for, for pretty much the entire history of this religion... Mm have been fighting amongst themselves. And here is just an example, an actually quote-unquote contemporary example <laughs> that uh, takes us back to the 19th century where Protestants burned down Catholic churches and convents in New England and elsewhere and periodically went to war with Catholics outrightly. 
In Philadelphia, in pitched battles with rifles, cannons, and bombs, Protestants raised the greater part of a Catholic neighborhood in 1844 and killed a large number of its inhabitants. And, you know, I mean, we could sit here all night and tell stories about this. I don't even think that until we sat down to record, I even thought about Northern Ireland Mm. because that's another huge example. And it's also important to understand that the Christian church itself also has a long history of perpetuating martyrdom and persecution narratives. The stories of saints' lives often center on their sufferings for Christ. First, there's Fox's Book of Martyrs. This one showed up a couple of times in college for me, at least once in our theology classes and also in one of my missions electives. The purpose of the stories in it is to inspire and encourage Christians, but it also does a stellar job of instilling a very romanticized view of being persecuted in the mind of the reader. One of my sources put it very eloquently. Narratives like Fox's Book of Martyrs fetishize suffering. Mm. Talk about a truly deviant kind of kink. Since we're mainly talking about present-day Christian persecution, I do what I usually do to get an overview of a subject. I consult Wikipedia. Which isn't always a good idea. Not always. But, you know, I'm, I'm just going to put that little disclaimer out right. there. It's not always the best of sources, but in this instance, there's some very well-cited stuff in here. Oh, definitely. The entry on historical and modern Christian persecutions is quite detailed and well-organized, so it was easy to find modern examples. While Christians are indeed one of the most persecuted religious groups in the world, These incidences often occur at the same time as other events. For instance, in the wars in the Congo in the 20-teens and the first Iraq war in 1991. Persecutions of Christians are also increasing in the Muslim world. Those who convert to Christianity are especially targeted, often incurring the death penalty in the countries who are under Sharia law. But when I scroll down to the United States, where Christians are the dominant religious group, I see only two incidents in the 19th and 20th centuries, respectively. In the early to mid-1800s, the Mormons, at the time a new religious movement, found themselves under persecution, both by populations and by the United States government. And for good fucking reason. Well, yes, but that is persecution. They might have brought it on themselves. But but yeah, it is a legit example. it's, It's a legitimate example. The Missouri governor signed an extermination order in 1838, which was not formally invalidated until the 25th of June, 1976, 137 years after being signed. Within that time, many actions were brought by the state and federal governments against the Mormons. That is persecution. Agreed, but largely justified persecution. Yeah, kind of. Also, during the second iteration of the Ku Klux Klan, founded in 1915 and launched in the 1920s, the Klan persecuted Catholics in both America and Canada. They saw Catholicism as a very real threat and appealed to white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. It opposed Jews, Blacks, Catholics, and newly arriving Southern and Eastern European immigrants, such as Italians, Russians, and Lithuanians, many of whom were either Jewish or Catholic. This is also persecution. Absolutely. Popular media also does a great job of fueling this bandwagon. Conservative journalists, politicians, and talk show hosts have a history of selectively highlighting cases of religious persecution aimed at Christians. 
The most public of examples is this idiotic war on Christmas narrative, which we covered at the end of 2020 here. I like that episode. Yeah, and I do too. I think that it, it really is a good companion piece to this. If, if anyone wants to go back and listen to it, it's not really a quote unquote Christmas episode, but no. it has a lot more to do with what we're talking about tonight. Definitely. And this delusion of persecution over a phrase. Yeah. And other things that surround that phrase. But since we are talking about popular media, Fox News in particular has earned itself a reputation for using the same emotionalism and sensationalism that appeals to evangelicals when presenting stories of perceived discrimination against Christians. An article in The Atlantic from a theist author offers this example. Todd Starnes, a popular commenter on the network, recently published Godless America, purporting to expose the, quote, attack on traditional values. Starnes has built a career almost exclusively based on reporting alleged incidences of Christian and conservative persecution, but his work almost always offers a skewed version of religious liberty in the U.S. He often exaggerates or omits facts, because of course he does, because this is mm. that's why they call it faux news. <laughs> Earlier in his career, he was fired from the Baptist press for reporting, quote, factual and contextual errors. Yet... He continues to be enormously influential. Starnes sells us what we want to hear. We want to believe that we are the underdog, and Starnes sells us that story wrapped in language of patriotism and faith. So in the world of journalism, or what passes for it on faux news, this subject has really become its own niche. More fuel is poured on the fire all the time, and not just by this one guy either. Other news organizations and evangelical influencers are also guilty of perpetuating this skewed view of persecution as well. Take this recent story covered by CitizenLink. This quote-unquote news source is actually the public policy partner of Focus on the Family, so you know you're about to get Dobsoned over the head with propaganda. Mm. But here's what it says. The story is about a small Texas church that acquired an old community center in a residential area and turned it into a church and school, which violated local zoning laws. After unsuccessful attempts at changing the zoning laws, the church sued the town on claims of religious discrimination. A community center and a Girl Scout camp were allowed in that area, but not a church, they said. When Citizen Link reported on the lawsuit, it framed this as a fight against anti-religious discrimination. But the minutes from a local town council show that residents opposed rezoning because they were concerned about the noise and traffic the church and school would bring to their quiet neighborhood. Mm. Not even remotely Jesus-hating. It wasn't even a consideration. No, no one cared what these people believed. They just didn't want the disruption it would bring to their neighborhood. And having a signature distaste for rules and laws, despite biblical admonitions to do things like obey the laws of the land, these people thought they could do whatever they wanted with the property because Jesus. They didn't like being told they couldn't because zoning. Sure, they could have petitioned to rezone the area, but gosh golly, that's a whole lot of bother. And who wants or likes bother? Disobeying the rules is much easier until someone steps in. And while we're on the subject of biblical admonishments, what does the Bible say about lying? This is one area where one actually can glean some decent moral guidance, oddly enough. Not that lying isn't romanticized in other places in the Bible, of course. There are even verses that warn of consequences for lying. And sorry, Citizen Link, you can lie by bearing false witness and you can lie by omitting information. So how do you deal with any of these verses, I wonder? I'm only going to go through a couple of these. Mm. 
but there are some good ones. And again, this is a theist source, okay? This is a uh, an article called Bible Verses About Liars, What Does the Bible Say? Well, here's what it says in Proverbs 12, 22. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Luke 16, 10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. 1 Peter 3.10-12 says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Exodus 20.16 puts it rather succinctly in the Ten Commandments, You must not lie. Proverbs 6.12 says, Let me describe for you a worthless and wicked man. First, he is a constant liar. And it just goes on and on and on from there. Let's see. Oh, John 8, 44. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning and a hater of truth. There is not an iota of truth in him. When he lies, it is perfectly normal, for he is the father of liars. Who wants to be associated with that? And that really, it's a small sampling of the verses that this one source compiled on this subject. And yet, honestly, it's the only way that they can get their point across is by at least embellishing or out and out lying. And I'm sorry, when you omit information that you know is pertinent to the discussion, that is the same as lying. It creates a lie by way of omission. And since we're talking primarily about persecution, it shouldn't surprise anyone to learn that white evangelicals are among the largest group of independent believers who think that Christianity is under attack in America. This group holds that Christians are more persecuted in America than Muslims, just in terms of outward discrimination in workplaces, schools, and when they're just trying to take their kids to Disney World, Muslims are dealt way more shit than any Christian ever will be. And since they're big end times fanatics, the concept of extreme persecution that is yet to come is also prevalent in white evangelical thought. Things are bad now, but they're going to get way worse when the Antichrist rises to power, yada, yada, yada. And evangelical pop culture also perpetuates this myth and has been doing so for decades. The theme of suffering for Jesus is prevalent in Christian media. Russ Taft's song, Not Gonna Bow, attempted to equate secular peer pressure with religious persecution, comparing a teenage boy being offered drugs and alcohol at a party with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's persecution in the book of Daniel. Only one problem. Bobby's friends didn't throw him in a furnace because he didn't want to smoke weed with them. (laughs) In his anthem, Pray in the USA, Morgan Cryer dropped these lines in the mid-80s also. I'm no rebel, just a pebble stuck in some judge's shoe. My bended knee may not be free, but my heart's going to break on through. And later he says, someday we may hear it. Praying is a felony. I guess they'll call us criminals then, and I guess that's what I'll be. Even better, themes of martyrdom polluted Christian radio airwaves prevalently in the 80s and 90s. Phil Kagey's song, Talk About Suffering, was a prime example. Talk about suffering here below and talk about loving Jesus. The gospel train is coming. Oh, don't you want to go and leave this world of trials and troubles here below? I liked Phil Kage back in the day. Oh, yeah. And I still think that he's wicked talented. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know how many times I played this song when I worked in Christian radio. I haven't talked that much about that part of my life on the show. We need to delve into that a little bit more because there were things. Oh, there were things. There were things. But to keep it on subject, I played this song a lot. 
And I heard these words a lot and didn't really actively listen to them. And that's where the real indoctrination gets in. That passiveness where you're hearing it, but not really listening to it, but the concepts are getting in there. So when I went back and read these lyrics all of these years later, it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, he is actually advocating that we die so that we can leave the troubles of this world behind us. Even at my worst moments of depression, I knew that there were ways to work through the trials that I was going through. I don't need to die to solve my problems. That's precisely what that song suggests. DC Talk took it a step further by trying to fuel their own Jesus freak movement that was really more marketing than ministry, but it perpetuated the same toxic thoughts about how suffering and even dying for Jesus was somehow hip. Being a loser in the eyes of one's peers was something to be aspired to. And this sentiment was expressed eloquently from our resident CCM reference, you've got it, Steve Taylor. On his album Squint, you find a little gem of a song called Jesus is for Losers. Just as I am at a total loss, Jesus is for losers broken at the foot of the cross. And I've brought up Carmen's America again here before, a song so mired down with blatant lies about U.S. history that no one with the ability to do a Google search should have any trouble debunking it. Not that Google actually existed then, and that was very good news for them. Yeah. But that song also fueled a lot of hysteria and alluded to America being a persecuted nation due to secularization and free thought. Mm. Then there's Tim LaHaye's Left Behind book series. These books amount to little more than a campy end times tale that spotlights religious persecution, this time at the hands of the Antichrist. But unlike your average good guy, bad guy tale, these books do something that these people seem to really get off on. They romanticize the concept of persecution, just like the Mark IV movies did nearly three decades earlier. <laughs> See, I look back in time with this, not so much because I'm so detached from evangelical culture today, but because it was the same people being fed this indoctrination then who were among the ones who stormed the Capitol in January of 2021 and have done other things and keep perpetuating this myth of persecution. Yeah. But if you want a few more examples, let's look at two films that depict Christians as the heroic rebels standing up to a world that is hostile and often violent toward anyone who even marginally believes in Jesus. First, there's God's Not Dead. This movie tells the story of a Christian college student who's given an ultimatum. Sign a document that states that God is dead or face the proverbial showdown at high noon with his philosophy professor in the form of debate. The student accepts the challenge and debates with the professor over three classes. The debate spirals into a Freudian therapy session wherein we find out the professor hates God because his mother died. The student wins the debate. The professor is basically shamed out of the room and audiences everywhere cheered to the tune of $62 million in box office receipts. Aye. Then there's the movie Persecuted. Nice title. Very succinct. Just cut right to the chase. This one follows a pastor who gets framed for murder by the government for trying to stop passage of a federal bill that restricts religious freedom. So martyrdom and exclusion have always been viewed as perverse status symbols within evangelicalism. You want to feel persecuted because it means that you're doing Christianity right. It's a fulfillment of Jesus's words in several places. John 15, 18, where he says, if the world hate you, know that it hated me before it hated you. We brought that one up just a couple minutes ago. And then there's, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
And Paul hopped on the same bandwagon in Romans 8.18, where he said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And when does that happen? (laughs) After we're dead. Yeah. Same basic concept here. Your problems will all be over when you die. And I can imagine someone who's depressed reading these words and gleaning that from it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But all of that leads to skewed thinking about what persecution is and makes the concept extend to things like being generally offended by public policies that don't fall in lockstep with one's beliefs or how eloquently secularization puts religious belief neatly in its place. Because you can't openly lead or mandate the participation in a prayer in a public school, you're being persecuted. No, you're not. You're just being told to keep that stuff confined to within the walls of your privately funded, privately owned, tax-sheltered house of worship and not bring it into public space. Imagine what would happen if a bunch of Wiccans marched into their church, started chanting, calling quarters, and casting circles. Mm. But it's that sense of confinement that drives the thought that persecution is happening. If you can't pray in schools and make others pray with you, it's an attack on your religious liberty. No, it's just society trying to explain to you that there's a time and a place for everything, and during homeroom in a publicly funded institution of learning isn't it. So to tie things together... Just a little while we continue the conversation. Here's a short list of things that count as persecution for the average evangelical. When society pays respect to any religious or spiritual view that is counter to their own. When society downplays the importance of their religion, like scheduling people to work on Sundays or holding events on Sundays during church time that are mandatory and people are told that they have to attend. Refusing to acknowledge Jesus as the focal point of anything that they think he should be. The whole Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays debate. When another religion tries to move in on their turf, like what the Satanic Temple does over and over and over again. Much to their chagrin, but to the joy of many others, like like us. Us. Um, Whenever they're told to keep their views to themselves... No, I have to let my light shine before men, damn it, and you're going to listen to me. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm really not. Whenever they're told to worship their God in their own space and not infiltrate someone else's with it, whenever their views are successfully challenged and they run out of defenses, when someone refuses to show the respect to their God that they think he deserves, like saying Jesus Christ as an expletive, I have a few stories about that one. Mm. You know, I've been admonished in public by people about this and I've put them directly in their place over it. It's like, you know, you're completely and totally welcome to believe this, but don't expect me to just be on my best behavior around you because these little words offend you because that's not something that's going to happen. And then lastly, whenever someone points out their tomfoolery in a public forum and others agree with the counterpoint. They're being persecuted when smart people counter what they have to say with logic. And the Atlantic, um, the same article from the Atlantic puts it this way. Traditionally, and remember the source, traditionally Christians have had a very broad view of what it means to suffer for Christ, broad enough to include everything from genuine martyrdom to mild ridicule from non-believers. Behind this is an essential part of the faith, which says that every Christian will be persecuted by the world. True believers will lose their jobs, face exile, and suffer from violence. And here's just another sample of how batshit insane evangelical thinking really is. Many evangelicals not only expect to be persecuted for their faith, they worry about it if they aren't. 
Why? Because if you aren't being persecuted, you're probably not all that great a Christian. I even remember being told that if the devil doesn't consider you a threat, he leaves you alone. That was the rationale my old youth pastor used when I was getting more disillusioned by the day with the situation at Mission Impossible. And that's episode 11. I'll always remember that episode number. Yeah, right. He said to me more than once that the fact that I was facing trials was proof positive that God was about to do something extraordinary in my ministry. Mm. Well, guess what? Nothing extraordinary ever happened at Mission Impossible. Yeah. Except the near public lynching on Bring a Friend Day. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of extraordinary as far as <sighs> I was concerned. but And not in a good way. But... Many Christians also fear that if they aren't facing constant trials at the hands of others, they might not even be saved. The danger of this view is that believers can come to see victimhood as an essential part of their identity. And talk about toxic thinking. Talk about fucking someone up mentally. You know, it's, it's amazing what they do to fuck you up mentally. And if you're not being persecuted, if you're happy in your faith, and there aren't trials and tribulations in your life every day, you better check yourself, bud. You may not even be saved. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's amazing to me. But here's the problem, though. Christians aren't. And, and let, let's make sure that we're crystal clear on this point. Christians aren't persecuted in America. Not by a long shot mm. are Christians persecuted in America. I'm sorry to rain on anyone's parade, but it's not a thing that happens or has ever happened in, in on any broad scale here. And while there are significant instances of discrimination and even hate crimes toward Christians and Christianity, I'm not going to downplay people getting shot up at a prayer meeting, okay? Yeah. Not going to downplay it, but it's one instance. And we're talking about just isolated instances of things happening here. Not out-and-out out persecution by a government or an atheist organization or anything like that. None of that happens here, and none of that has ever happened here. Christianity is still the largest religious group in America, and no other religion, no other religion is or ever will be as widely acknowledged, accepted, shamelessly accommodated, or as heavily protected as Christianity. I wonder how many businesses out there actually do treat Hanukkah or Kwanzaa as holidays. Maybe there are some that are organized and run by Jewish or Muslim people, and I'm sure that this exists, but not on a wide scale. And I'm racking my brain here, but I cannot think of a single time I heard an invocation at any government proceeding that wasn't Christian. And this concept of religious persecution aimed at Christians even makes its way down from the highest seats in government. Mike Pence, in a speech to the 2019 graduating class of Liberty University, said that they were likely to be, quote, shunned or ridiculed for defending the teachings of the Bible. He also told this group of young people just starting out in life that they would be, quote, asked not just to tolerate things that violate their faith, but that they would be asked to endorse them. Throughout most of American history, it's been pretty easy to call yourself a Christian, he said, but things are different now. How, Mike? How are they different? What does experience tell you about this? What examples can you cite? It all seems a little bit nebulous really? to me. It, just a little bit nebulous. Yeah. The concept that Christianity is being oppressed is popular among conservative politicians in contemporary politics in the United States, and they utilize this idea to address issues concerning 
LGBT people or the Affordable Care Act's contraceptive mandate, which they perceive as an attack on Christianity. Because of course they do, but it really isn't. No. The application of the contraceptive mandate to closely held corporations with religious objections was struck down by the Supreme Court in Burwell versus the Hobby Lobby Stores Incorporated. Yeah, we talked about that one around here before, too. It's a yeah. real hot button issue for me. Yeah, and since I'm kind of crafty and I love going to craft stores, I despise Hobby Lobby. I've only been in a Hobby Lobby maybe once or twice. <sighs> and the one time that I was in oh, a God. Hobby Lobby, I actually bought stuff for a Wiccan ritual. <laughs> And it felt wonderful. Oh, yes, I'm sure. It felt wonderful knowing that I was taking stuff out of there and using it for that. It just yeah. felt deliciously deviant. And, and, uh, and you know, that's, that's the one time that I actually spent money in a Hobby <laughs> Lobby. And I felt like it was money well spent in that context. I actually went in once. I went in once. And I saw the little the banner sign for day spring greeting cards. And I was like... Nope. I just noped right out of there. <laughs> I just like, no, 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 no. We're not doing this. About how long would you say you were actually inside the store? About two minutes. I looked around. I walked to like just beyond the cash registers, stood there and looked around and said, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I lasted just a little bit longer than you, but probably only because I had to wait in line at the cash register. Yeah. Um, I don't even remember why we had gone in there. All I know is that I saw, remember the keys? Yeah. All those keys. And back in the day with Hecate being my matron goddess, um, keys were a major symbol right. of that goddess. So I had purchased a bunch of these keys to use in ritual and to hand out to the people who were in the ritual. Right. And- Oh, my goodness, did it feel good buying them at Hobby Lobby? Yeah, I'm sure it did. Oh, yeah. But uh, not to get too far off track, um, there are instances that involve things like workplace policies where questionable decisions are made based on someone's faith. And these usually come down from a hapless owner or an executive who thinks that they can do whatever the fuck they want. But they are so few and far between, it's difficult to classify any of it as widespread persecution. Same thing I said a couple of minutes ago. Yeah. You know, there are incidents, but you can't really you can't really find a pattern. And you can't really find one or more instances where the religion on a whole or in general, or like let's just say Pentecostal evangelicals have been targeted. Right. Then you it doesn't exist. And this was true until COVID kind of yeah. changed that landscape. Mask mandates are religious persecution. Mandatory vaccinations are religious persecution. Closing our churches is persecution. COVID has done a lot of damage and it's taken a lot of lives. But one of the most dangerous outgrowths of it has been the perceived validation of some evangelicals' claims of persecution and the fueling of these perceptions by evangelical leaders, particularly clergy and these asshat modern prophets. Oy. But one of the most dangerous outgrowths of it has been the perceived validation of some evangelicals' claims of persecution and the fuelings of these perceptions by evangelical leaders, particularly clergy who have downplayed the severity of COVID for more than two years now, 
as far less a public health crisis than it is a source of religious persecution. Let's be clear. Telling people to wear a mask is not persecution. It's protection. Telling people that they can't go to church isn't persecution. It's an attempt to protect them from themselves when they lack the good sense to stay home and quarantine like everybody else was doing then. No one shut down their church's YouTube channels or Facebook live streams. They were allowed to hold their services without issue in that kind of a setting. They were allowed to collect their tithes through Venmo. They were not, however, allowed to hold super spreader events and go out and infect people because they caught this thing at church. That is not persecution. That's the state having to play the parent role with them because at the end of the day, they don't care anywhere near as much about people as they say they do. It's all about their wants, their interests, and their insufferable need to be the center of attention in all matters, religious, social, and political. And the instant they aren't, wah, I'm being persecuted. Pretty fucking pathetic, if you ask me. Mm. Like, way pathetic. And here's the kicker. They're doing all of this on their own. There is literally no group out there calling this persecution. There is no one expressly telling evangelicals not to mask up or refuse a vaccine. In fact, the National Association of Evangelicals endorses vaccines. Now we have to give kudos to not one, but two Christian organizations in one episode. (laughs) This is an unbound first. Now, I'm not about to turn around here and say, well, you know what? And and I'm going to just shift gears a little bit here. This is kind of a devil's advocate sort of thing, but yeah. you know it makes a point. I'm not about to turn around and say, well, you know what? Atheists are persecuted in America too. Not because I'd be wrong, because I'd be right in the same situational sort of way. Not in the widespread way that Christians perceive themselves to be persecuted here. But because if I did, I'd be playing the same game that they are taking isolated instances and making them out to be somehow significant enough to show proof for the argument. But here's a little of what it can be like to be an atheist in America, especially in areas dominated by Christianity. And come on, that's most of them. Yeah. In a BBC article called The Stigma of Being an Atheist in the U.S., we learn about what can happen when you're an out atheist in an evangelical majority. Things like being estranged from your family, Things like walking down the halls of your high school and being stared at or spit on, having to attend atheist events incognito and not talk to anyone from the press or have your picture taken because you're not out to your family and they might disown you. Being forced to go to Bible camp to be indoctrinated and deprogrammed is another thing that atheists from evangelical families go through. In America, it's more acceptable to be gay than it is to be atheist. And I don't want to say it in that kind of shock and awe sort of way. That's not what I mean. It's just in an ironic and sort of out of balance sort of way. According to a Pew Research study, a majority of Americans say that they would trust a rapist, a rapist, before they would trust an atheist. The same source also reported that Americans would rather have a president who was either in their 70s or openly gay or who had never held any public office than one that was an atheist. All this, while the number of people who call themselves religious, is falling. But as I've said before, we have a long way to go. Some atheist organizations, like the Freedom From Religion Foundation, are calling for more of us to, quote, come out. And here's what they say, quote, Oh, and this is Andrew Seidel again. So we get a twofer from him this time around, too. (laughs) 
Many Americans think that they have never met another atheist, but that is because so many are afraid to publicly acknowledge it. And he is, incidentally, an attorney for the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Now, just to put this in perspective, in the meantime, there's a church a quarter mile from my house that blares their messaging loudly and without care of who hears it every single goddamn Sunday, all summer long around here. It starts in July and continues through Labor Day. Open air services in the middle of downtown with decibel levels that can be heard over about a two mile radius when they're particularly loud. Mm. It's a clear example of a public nuisance and it violates every city noise ordinance with arrogant defiance, but no one does anything about it. Why? Because we, as a society, have gotten so used to treating these people like the emotional and intellectual toddlers that they are, we just ignore it. Because if we say something, we're persecuting them. We're trouncing on their religious liberty. We're denying them their freedom of speech. Bullshit. Let me say it again. Freedom of speech grants you an opinion, but it does not. It does not grant you an audience. I should be able to sit in my backyard without having to listen to a hundred people spewing off in tongues or loud preaching that goes on well into the afternoon. I could sit there and tell myself I'm being persecuted over that, but I'm not. I'm being mildly irritated and inconvenienced by a group of people who lack the maturity necessary to understand what it means to be good neighbors. And that inability to function in the community is at the heart of the evangelical persecution delusion. Being estranged from your family Ridiculed and forced into deprogramming situations are real things that happen to atheists all the time, particularly here in the U.S. I never heard of an atheist disowning a child who decides to be born again. If it had happened with my son, I would not have been happy. I would have kept the counterpoint in front of him and made certain he got both sides of every issue, just like Pi's father did. Mm. I would have made sure that he was exposed to logic and reason, but I would never, ever have disowned him. Why? Because he's my son. And the very thought that these people view their religion as one being rooted and built up on love, and yet having the audacity to disown their own child, yeah. it just it, it, it boggles my mind how this is even a thing, how they can preach about a God of love and then deny that love to their own flesh and blood. Mm. I have no clue how some people do it. I mean, especially as a mother, you carry yeah. a child in your body for nine months. You care for that child. You nurture that child to adulthood. And then you shun them because they have brains that can't accept that a reanimated zombie who is his own father had to sacrifice himself to himself to atone for rules he himself established and that we must now accept his gift of atonement or burn for all eternity. And that all of that is necessary because a girl ate an apple given to her by a talking snake. You don't accept that? Well, we're done with you. I can't even imagine it. Yeah. And yet, these people have the audacity to treat a message on a coffee cup as persecution because the people around them refuse to believe what they do. That in reference to the whole Starbucks thing yeah. a few years ago. I think oh, yeah. people remember that. And while you might be able to kick your kid out of your house, you can't get society out of your face. Secularization keeps coming at you and forces you to at least publicly accept that not everyone believes what you do. Let's try to remember that more Americans have an aversion to atheists than they do to rapists. 
Let's also remember that many of the same places around the world that persecute Christians also persecute atheists. They persecute anyone who doesn't believe what they do. It's not exclusive to Christianity. And if you're still in this vile religion or are still on the fence about it and you really want to see what persecution looks like, do a little Googling on places where it's dangerous to be gay and what happens to you if you're found out. When you're done with that, look at your Starbucks cup with happy holidays written on it and remind yourself that you really don't have it all that bad. Mm. Lastly, and I will keep this brief, Do a little research on how Christians have treated people who don't agree with them over the centuries. Educate yourself about things like the Crusades and the Inquisition and the Malleus Maleficarum. Educate yourself about Nazism and the Holocaust. Educate yourself about white supremacy, particularly the Ku Klux Klan. These things will provide you with crystal clear examples of what persecution really is. And all of those things were started and perpetuated by Christians every last one. More blood has been shed in the name of Jesus than in that of any other deity ever. Islamic extremism can't hold a candle to the atrocities that Christianity has brought upon the world, and white evangelicals have the audacity to sit there and say that they feel more persecuted than a Muslim. Again, look up the Crusades and get yourself a clue if you're still in that camp. People have been drawn and quartered, dismembered, and boiled in oil in the name of your so-called savior, in the name of the person who instructed the people who did those things to love their neighbors as themselves. And you want to call yourself persecuted because you were asked to leave the mall because you were too aggressive handing out tracts? Get over it. Take a good hard look at what you've been taught about this and ask yourself what you're really being denied here. Because once you stop listening to the lies, once you break free of the gaslighting, and once you start daring to think for yourself, I promise you, you'll be embarrassed by how you used to see religious persecution. But there's an upside. You'll also be one step closer to getting and staying unbound. enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.